Well, this morning we're going to look at a, a few verses as we're getting closer to ending uh, Mark chapter 8 uh, in our quest to understand who Jesus is in this pivotal time of Jesus' ministry with his disciples. This truly is a, a turning point, a shift of focus that Jesus is bringing to the disciples, to the followers around him so that they may have a clearer understanding of who he is, uh, short of understanding Jesus, being able to understand his mission would be uh, nearly impossible if we don't understand who he is. And so we're going to look at uh, just these three verses uh, this morning. Mark 8 at verse 31, And he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things, and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed. And after three days, rise again. And he said this plainly. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But turning and seeing his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. It seemed as if Peter was getting closer to understanding. Last week, Jesus asked, Who do you say that I am? After posing the question about what the world thinks, What do you think? Who do you say that I am? And Peter answered correctly that Jesus was the Christ. And now, as we've been seeing throughout Scripture, as soon as it looks like things are in the right place, Just like that, it turns around again and you see how short-sighted people are or how sinful their nature is. And here again we have it in uh, this story before us. Have you ever um, been in a situation where uh, you've maybe talked back to your teacher? Anybody dare raise their hand? Uh, Dale's got this awkward smile. And Linda, a teacher, actually said so too. So... There are times where we talk back to our teachers, um, and maybe at that point you were in fear of your life. At that, you know, when you realize after it came out, I probably shouldn't have said that to my teacher, or maybe to your parents. Maybe, maybe more of us can relate with the idea of talking back to your parents. Uh, and maybe there was such a fear in us of what might happen, we wouldn't even dare to speak back to our parents that way. Um, And here we have this story where Jesus, the one that's trying to teach his disciples and reveal the hidden things to them, all of a sudden, Peter, as the spokesperson for all of them, talks back to Jesus. Imagine what is going through everybody's mind at that point. We're going to dig into that a little bit today and see how we can learn from this and grow in our understanding there. There is uh, something that Jesus is trying to do here in clarifying uh, the Christ's purpose. Jesus had asked them, who do you say that I am? And Peter had answered correctly that uh, Jesus is the Christ. Um, but he's, he's now letting them know what that means, giving them a better picture of who the Christ is. 
exactly, if, if this is who you say that I am, let me explain to you what that means. Because we'll see here very quickly that what Jesus is, who He is as the Christ, is notably different than what His closest disciples believe about the same title or position or purpose. Jesus uses this most beloved name for Himself, the Son of Man. Uh, In the Gospel accounts, in all four Gospels, that term is the most uh, widely used by Jesus of Himself. The term Son of Man happens uh, about 82 times in the Gospels. And it happens over 90 times in the book of Ezekiel itself. This is a very prophetic name of Jesus. This is one that they would have understood as they remembered what Ezekiel had said. Ezekiel is a wonderful book, and I can't wait till we get to uh, that place in our reading to unpack that a little bit more. There's such a resounding... Uh, Ezekiel is this book of a, of a clanging gong in a, in a good way, uh, sounding the alarm over and over again. Uh, and we'll get to that, uh, but just to whet your appetite a little bit. So Jesus is, is referring to himself as the Son of Man, and they would have known that uh, from what he said in uh, the book of, or what was said in the book of Daniel. I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven there came one like a Son of Man. And he came to the ancient days, ancient of days, and was presented before him. This is Daniel's vision of what it's going to be like at the end. And there's this one like the Son of Man coming. And so they would, they would recognize already in what was being said throughout Scripture that this Son of Man, this Christ, is going to fulfill this end-time prophecy, which is where a little bit of their confusion comes in because when they know that the Son of Man is there with them, they must think we're already at the end. So they would have been certainly very familiar with that term Son of Man and uh, in some ways already what that meant for them, uh, the fulfillment of prophecy. But Jesus says that, uh, and this, yeah, this is the other part of that, uh, to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples and nations and languages should serve him. That was the... That was the vision that Daniel was giving about coming, the coming Son of Man and what He would do. But Jesus is going to uh, change that. Where there was dominion in a kingdom, there was a picture that they created in their minds about that. And Jesus uh, would give them a different one. His dominion would be an everlasting one. It wouldn't pass away. But Jesus said, now, I'm going to be one who suffers. I'm going to be hated and rejected. I'm going to be handed over and killed. I don't think that fit with what they were recalling maybe from what Daniel was saying. His dominion would be an everlasting kingdom. He would have dominion and authority and rule. He would take the the throne of his father David and now Jesus is giving them a little clearer insight into that, clarifying the, the Christ's purpose that I'm going to suffer deal with rejection. And not just from the people out there someplace, the ones that don't uh, have any kind of religious growing up background, 
I'm going to be rejected by the Sanhedrin, the elders and the chief priests and the scribes, all of these leading people of the Jewish people. These are the ones that are going to reject him. And it will be marked with suffering, rejection, and death. That had to have made an impact on the disciples at that time. It did, and we'll see that. Daniel Daniel says that um, he reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what is in the darkness and light dwells with him. Matthew uh, 13.35 says, This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet. I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter what has been hidden since the foundation of the world. They knew that something was going to be revealed. Jesus had already said that to them here in the Gospel of Mark. I'm going to reveal those things to you, things that have been hidden from other people. So Jesus is just clarifying here what has already been said from the Old Testament. We could look at um, Isaiah 53, um, very familiar passage for us. He was despised and rejected by men. So it really shouldn't come as too much as a, of a surprise. This was the lot for the one that was going to come. This was going to be what he would endure. A man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised. And we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. It, it, there's nothing about what Jesus is telling his disciples now that should have caught them off guard. It shouldn't have. This was already the prophetic uh, voice that was coming from the Old Testament over and over. And now Jesus is just clarifying so that they understand what the mission and purpose of this Christ is that they've already acknowledged. So as he's doing this and making it plain to them, Peter rebukes Jesus. If ever there was a time where lightning was going to strike somebody dead on the spot, this would have been it. Listen uh, to the way Matthew records that. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord, this shall never happen to you. Jesus had just been making it plain to them. He was speaking clearly to them. To everybody else I speak in parables, but to you I give the explanation. I make it clear to you so that you can continue on in that work if you don't understand. So Jesus says this to them plainly. And Peter rebukes Jesus. Where do you have to be in your mind to rebuke the Lord? What's going on in your brain, in your heart, in your understanding of things that the King of kings and Lord of lords, the one that has come as the Christ, the Messiah, the Savior, the Redeemer, when He speaks something plainly to you, that you would then say, excuse me, Lord, 
Uh, I think you have that wrong. You imagine being the one that would utter those words and then have it be recorded? This is, again, one of those circumstances where if Scripture was just a book written by man to appease our consciences and our, and our hearts, we wouldn't put stories like this in there. We wouldn't show our failures. But Peter rebukes Jesus. Never, Lord. Could you ever put those two words together? Lord, the one who is sovereign over all, and then say never? Uh, where, where is your understanding of Jesus as Lord when you say never to Him? Uh, maybe we would uh, say what some of these little children that we have around us at times in our, in our kids, our grandkids, our great-grandkids, uh, you're not the boss of me. Ever hear that one? Isn't that kind of what Peter is saying to Jesus? Jesus tells him exactly how things are going to happen, makes it clear to him, and basically Peter says, no, that's not right. That's not going to happen. And yet, if you want to think of it that way, Jesus is the boss of Peter. He is the Lord over them. But it wasn't just an, an issue with uh, Peter. This was, this was all of them. Peter gets to be the one that takes the heat for it, but look at what it said there in verse 33. Turning and seeing his disciples. After, after Peter rebuked Jesus, he turned and seen his disciples, looking at all of them. He said, get behind me, Satan. Oops, sorry. Get behind me, Satan, for you are not setting your minds on the thing of things of God, but on the things of man. Just before, almost in two breaths before this, Peter acknowledged him as the Christ, and now Christ rebukes him in the same way that he would have rebuked the demons from what we've already seen. Peter is in this awkward place of, you're almost there, but not yet. There's still something missing in your perspective that's causing you to think that my perfect plan is not going to be a good one. And Peter really doesn't want any part of that. You know, Peter's rebuke comes as a disciple. A follower of Jesus. One of Jesus' followers, one of his students, one of his pupils, one of his disciples, hears his teacher speaking to him, and the teacher, or the, the teacher is rebuked by the student. But it's that idea that Peter and all of them, because this is addressed to them all, they are followers of Jesus. They understood what that meant probably more than what you and I do. A disciple meant that you would mimic the life of your teacher. If your teacher's walking along, we've shared this here before, if your teacher's walking along and he sees a rock on the road or whatever and it catches his attention, he'd pick it up. Then all of the disciples would all of a sudden bend over and start picking it up. I think, are we supposed to do that too? That's how, that's how much they tried to follow their, their teacher, their rabbi. If he did that, he did it for a purpose. And those are things that we're trying to discover as we're going through Scripture. There's a purpose for the things that happen. 
And so as they see Jesus getting to a certain place and doing something in his life, they wonder, is that what I'm supposed to do too? I'm a follower of Jesus, after all. So Jesus says, I'm going to suffer, I'll be rejected, and I'm going to be killed. And you're his disciple. You're his follower. What do you think that means for you? If this is, if this is the, the forecast for my teacher, and I'm connected to him, does that mean I will suffer the same fate? Is this what's down the road for me too? How would you respond in that time where Jesus lets you know that as the teacher, this is what's going to happen. And as a disciple, you will very likely have to experience that same thing. Maybe that's a good reason why Peter decides to rebuke Jesus. I don't want any part of that. And you'll find out. And maybe you already recognize in your mind as you think forward in the life of Christ here. Peter didn't want anything to do with what was going to happen to Jesus. And that's already becoming evident here. When Jesus plainly tells them what's in store for him as the Christ, what his mission and purpose is, not this political kingdom that he's going to set up. It's far beyond that. There will be a kingdom established. It's been, it's been uh, revealed to us at the dawn of time that God was setting up a kingdom for Himself. Jesus is now saying the way to bring that kingdom back to where God would have it be is through this. Suffering, rejection, and death. Peter was so close. But was he? Look at Matthew 16, when he, this, is, this is Matthew's account. Uh, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. Peter had a special revelation about who Jesus was. This was not something you came up with on your own. It was revealed to you. And that was a great blessing for Peter. But that's not where Peter's at right now. Peter's not in that place where he, he's, he's focusing on that revelation from God. He's thinking from his own perspective. Uh, Peter and the other disciples were interpreting uh, what Jesus was saying to them according to their own uh, limited perspective, their own vision, their own, their own understanding. They didn't, they didn't grasp the whole of it yet. Jesus said, you're not setting your mind on the things of God. That's where he was when he said, you're the Christ. He had his mind fully illumined by God himself. But that's not where he's thinking from right now. Peter's in this place where I know what God said, but that doesn't fit the way I understand it. So I don't like that. And I don't want that to happen. Did they forget, though, 
what had already been written down. Look at Isaiah 55. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declare the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. Why would, why would we naturally think that as we process uh, everything from Scripture that we would understand it completely right out of the gate? Peter is a prime example of that. God has revealed that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, the Anointed One, the One to come to fulfill all that God had planned for His people. And if his mind would have stayed in that place, it would have been good. But Peter went to his own understanding. Peter started to interpret what God said in his world's context and tried to make it fit. You ever guilty of that? Seeing what God says in His world and trying to squeeze that into our existence from our understanding and trying to make what God said fit and it just doesn't seem to work out because we're doing it from this perspective that we don't have full understanding yet. We've let our own personal view of things, we've let our own understanding of things cloud what is clear. Does Jesus' uh, earlier rebuke, is that still ringing in your ears or their ears? What he said back in uh, verse 18, Having eyes do you not see? Having ears do you not hear? And don't you remember? As he was talking about the, the fish and the loaves and everything, don't you remember what happened there? Is that same rebuke still ringing in their ears as... You heard the confession of Peter that this is the Christ, and yet you're still so far away. There is this issue that we would have to deal with in our own lives. This, this brings up a, a good point for us that Jesus might be reminding you of the things that He has said in His Word, things that have been proven to be true. But you and I have this tendency yet to interpret the things of Jesus according to what we see in our world and forgetting that there's something far more to what He says than we can fully comprehend. Imagine if you or I were in that position where Jesus was making it clear to you. And He does that yet today. He lets us know through the giving of His Spirit, the Spirit is there to remind us, it says in the book of John, to remind us of all the things that Jesus taught us. One of the reasons why we're going to be going through Scripture in a, in a year, why the reason that we continue to give so much attention to Scripture in our services here is so that the Spirit has something to work with. If the Spirit is going to remind you and I of the things that has been said, we need to be in constant review of that so the Spirit can take those things and remind us. You remember when Scripture said, because you're going to need that in the different circumstances in your life. But imagine knowing the clarity of Scripture as Jesus was saying very clearly to His disciples and then yet 
missing the point altogether. You and I could never begin to understand the mission of Jesus if our focus is not on Him and Him alone. When we put Him into the context that we are in, that we would like to see changed, like the disciples did then, are you now going to restore the kingdom? Those questions would continue to come to Jesus. When are you going to do what we're expecting you to do? And they just don't seem to grasp that yet. But you know, Jesus has been gracious all along. The stories of Scripture remind us over and over and over and over again of God's grace and mercy throughout. When we as broken, sinful people fail once again, even in our recent readings where God was about ready to wipe out the Israelites because of their failure at Mount Sinai. And Moses stood between God and his people and said, you can't do that because you have already said you would bring this people. You promised to Abraham, to Isaac and Jacob that these descendants that are here today, they would be the ones to inherit the land. What would the Egyptians think if you went back on that word? Moses knew what God had said. The people did too, but they were so focused on, uh, from a limited perspective on their world, Moses didn't use God's words against him. I don't want you to think of it that way. But Moses reminded God, and God I think was waiting for that. For somebody to understand that I promised you this, so it is going to happen. The Israelites would suffer 40 years in the wilderness because they didn't believe that God was going to do exactly what He said He would. Clearly, over and over He said to them. And they didn't believe it. Jesus' process with His disciples is always an incremental one, just like it was throughout Scripture. If, if you were told uh, at the beginning of your understanding as a, as a young child that your life, if you, if you link yourself to Jesus, your life would be filled with suffering, pain, rejection, would you sign up for that trip? If the first thing you heard about Jesus was that you were going to be like Him in His suffering and rejection and death, you and I wouldn't choose to follow. But what I first learned about God before any of that is that He is a faithful God and He brings about His good plan in spite of our failures. That He shows grace all along the way. And so once I recognized that about this faithful father from days and eons gone by, and now hearing that, that same thing in the words of Jesus himself and how he continues to deal with a stubborn people, hard-hearted, and he deals with them graciously, I recognize that if I choose to follow, I know my character. 
Um, I didn't miss it so far in what I've been reading that my character is not a pretty one. That much is clear to me from my reading so far again this year that my nature, because I'm born linked to Adam, my nature is one of failure. But every step along the way, incrementally, we learn more about God's grace in our lives. And that gives me great confidence when He calls me to do something that would just frighten me otherwise. He does it incrementally, slowly, clearly, and with all kinds of evidence that He is working out something good, as He did with the Israelites, as He's been doing for the disciples here, showing His power and His authority, His sovereignty over so many different things. Days and sicknesses and spirits, demons, food. He's sovereign over it all. And He continues to give uh, eternal hope along the way. Look at that verse 31. He began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. I wonder if Peter missed that. If, if he was so focused on all of the descriptive words before suffering, rejection, killed, that he didn't pay attention to the fact that Jesus was going to rise again that Jesus was going to overcome this great trial. And that as a disciple, if Jesus will, then I will. If, if Jesus is going to endure all that and there is a glorious end for all of that, perhaps that's going to be the case for us as well. And that gives us eternal hope. Don't misunderstand Jesus. His intentions for you, His direction for your life, His call for you to be His witness in this world, none of that will ever take you where He hasn't already prepared for you to be. As the disciples heard that as followers of Jesus, suffering, rejection, and death were a part of their existence. But Jesus said, after three days, I'm changing all of that. After three days, all of that will have been redeemed. And when you follow me, you will be the recipients of that redemption story as well. Because, quite frankly, to reject Jesus and to stop following means you go through the rest of it, but not the end. Suffering, pain, rejection, death. But without Jesus, no rising again. He has a plan for us, brothers and sisters. And at times it scares the dickens out of us to think that I might have to face such intense persecution. And brothers and sisters, just so you're aware, spoiler alert, that's in store for us. 
But, as we continue to acknowledge Jesus as Lord, never giving the, the enemy a foothold to allow us to misunderstand what Jesus has clearly said, the outcome for us is a good one. Jesus is trying to clearly tell us. And it will, it will be clarified even more next time as we look at it. What does it really mean to follow Jesus? Misunderstanding at any place along the way doesn't serve us well. Don't misunderstand Jesus. His intentions for you are always, always good. Would you pray with me? Our Heavenly Father, we do thank You that um, Your words are meant to be clear. And yet we recognize and we admit, we confess that uh, there are many times where what should be clear to us eludes us. What should strengthen us, encourage us, and move us and change us and transform us, we are uncertain of. And so we're asking, Father, that through the Spirit, Your Spirit that lives within us, that the words that we meditate on week by week here in this place, day by day in our own homes, that those words would transform us, shape us, shape our thinking, shape shape our minds, our very thoughts, so we understand clearly the message because, Father, we know that our hearts are so prone to wander. Our hearts are so deceptive. And so, Father, would You help remind us with Your Spirit to be renewed in our thinking so that our hearts can be transformed, that our spirits would be lifted, that our path would be made clear, and that in all of it we have confidence, hope, joy, and peace. So, Father, take these words, knit them within us, strengthen us by them, and may we go out as witnesses of the one true Christ, Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen.